Well, good morning. Hey, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am really excited to be with you all. And I'm even more excited because everything has worked out so far today because I woke up to my worst nightmare. I woke up at 5 a.m. and I couldn't talk. I had no voice. Clearly, I need to talk today. So uh, I started praying. And a bunch of people started praying. And as you can hear, I have a voice and I preached last service as well. And so praise God, right? God hears our prayers. So that's testimony to his goodness there. I'll never forget the feeling I had as I drove there. I was sick to my stomach. I was dreading the moment as I pulled into the parking lot, the feeling only got worse. And as I saw the sign on the building, I felt even sicker. The sign said hospice. And I had been dreading this moment because I knew that this was going to be the last time that I would see her. She was a hundred years old and had lived an amazing life that was now coming to an end at the close of 2020. My grandma, Lily. And as I walked into her room and I sat by her bedside, I took a hold of her frail hand. And I began to cry, I started crying. My grandma was half awake. As she opened her eyes, she saw that I was crying. And in her sweet Southern accent, she said, honey, what's wrong? And as I'm crying, I say, grandma, this is the last time that I will see you. She closed her eyes and she was silent for a period of time. And then she said, I love you. Those were her last words to me. Those are powerful last words that I will remember the rest of my life. I'll carry them with me because last words are powerful. And as I sat by my grandma's bedside, John, the writer of this gospel, is standing at the foot of the cross watching Jesus be crucified. This is Jesus' bedside moment. But John isn't just watching Jesus. He's also hearing him. And John gets to hear Jesus last words, the powerful last words. And he then writes them down so that we can hear them too. But what do the last words of Jesus mean? And why are they important for us today? Let's look at John. If you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 19, we're looking at verses 28 to 30 today. 
says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. What I love about Jesus' last words is that he doesn't say, I am finished. Because Jesus isn't done yet. He's still at work in the world today. He's still moving in our lives and he's moving here among us this morning. Jesus isn't done yet, but he says, it is finished. Which makes us ask, what is the it? It's that our redemption is accomplished. Your redemption is accomplished by Jesus, our Passover lamb. John is drawing our attention to something. In verse 29, he, he mentions this hyssop branch. It says that they put the sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it to Jesus's mouth. Why is John drawing our attention to the hyssop? It's because every Jewish person at that time would have known as soon as they heard hyssop, they would have thought immediately back to the first Passover in Exodus chapter 12. John wants us to see that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's emphasizing this. And later in verse 33, he's going to also tell us in the crucifixion details that Jesus's bones were not broken. His legs were not broken like the other two men who were crucified on both sides of him. And that's because one of the key requirements for the Passover lamb is that it would be without blemish, without broken bones. John is emphasizing that Jesus is the Passover lamb. But even more is the timing of the crucifixion. This is important because it's happening on Passover. Passover was a time when Israel remembered their redemption from slavery in Egypt. And so the city would have been packed. It would have been buzzing. There would have been tons of people who had traveled from all over the place to come to the city and celebrate the Passover as a national festival celebration. It's estimated that thousands upon thousands of lambs were slaughtered on that day by priests. And you could actually hear the cry of the lambs bleating the bleating of lambs you could hear echoing through the city as the blood filled the courts of the temple as the lambs were sacrificed. It is on this day that the blood of Jesus is being shed as he hangs on the cross. Can you imagine John in this moment? Can you imagine what John is experiencing as he's watching Jesus 
be sacrificed on the cross. As he's hearing Jesus, the breathing gets more intensely labored. He's struggling to breathe as he hangs there. As John sees Jesus' bloody body, he's overwhelmed with grief. He closes his eyes. It's the only thing that he can do in that moment. And and he begins remembering the Passover meal that John grew up eating every single year. The images of this Passover meal are like a slideshow in his mind. And he remembers the bitter herbs that were eaten that reminded Israel of the bitterness of their darkness in slavery under Egypt. The unleavened bread that reminded Israel that they were to leave Egypt with haste. Then John begins to weep uncontrollably as he remembers the wine, not just from when he was a kid, but he remembers the Passover meal that he has just shared earlier with Jesus as Jesus held a cup and said, this is my blood. Then John remembers because the background noise he hears in the city, the lambs, the, the sound of the lambs being sacrificed, John remembers the center of the Passover meal. The lamb was at the center of the Passover meal. The lamb was at the center of the Passover meal because its blood was shed. And then the blood was put on the door as a sign of redemption in Egypt, that they were able to leave their captivity. What the blood of the lamb on the door did for Israel, the blood of Jesus does for all those who believe in him. If you come under the blood of Jesus, you will be redeemed. I wonder where in your life do you feel imprisoned? Where in your life do you feel imprisoned? Because Jesus' last words as he hangs on the cross are, it is finished. Your redemption is accomplished. This means that you are no longer a slave to sin, to shame, and to fear. You've been set free. Your chains have been broken. You're no longer a slave to sin. Sin does not have power over you. But some of you are sitting here and you are struggling with a sin over and over and over again. And you continuously do the thing that you don't wanna do. And you're wondering what is wrong with me? I'm struggling with this same sin. And if you're honest, you might even say that you feel enslaved to that thing. It might feel like the chains haven't been broken. So much so that you've rolled over and begun to accept that this is how your life will always be that you're always gonna be overpowered by this sin in your life. And if that's you, hear me. 
That is a lie from Satan. He is the great deceiver. There is nothing that he would want you to believe more than you will always be in this sin and that it is more powerful. And here's how we know that this is a lie. Jesus, as he says, it is finished. His death on the cross is not a defeat. It is a victory. He is victorious over sin. The power of sin has been broken. There is hope for you. You are not enslaved to that sin that you continuously struggle with. The power has been broken. And the reason why the power has been broken and you don't have to be enslaved to this thing is because the very presence and power of Jesus dwells within you. You're no longer a slave to shame. Some of you are carrying a deep sense of shame for something that has happened in your life in the past or something that was done to you. And maybe the shame is, is so deep that you've never even told another person. And you've begun to let that thing in your past define your life define who you are, define your identity. So you've looked at a moment and it's a significant moment and it may be a traumatic moment and a very painful moment for you. So there's a reason why you've looked to that moment, but you've been looking at a moment in the past to define you and hear me. The problem is you have not been looking far enough in the past. You haven't looked far enough to the past. You need to look further in the past. You need to look at the moment when Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished because you have been redeemed. Your story has been redeemed. Your life has been redeemed. And that thing that happened does not define you. It is not who you are. It is not your identity. Jesus gives you your identity. Let the power of his last words as he hangs on the cross be the last word in your story. Let it have the last word over your shame. You're no longer a slave to fear. But some of you are walking on eggshells with God. You're afraid of failure. You're afraid that God might get angry with you as if you are living under an oppressive ruler, but you are no longer under that ruler. You've been adopted into the family of God by the blood of Jesus. And now God is your father and he is a perfect father who is always tender with you, who always feels compassion towards you and will always be gracious with you. Church, you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb. It is finished. What's the is? It's that the debt is paid. 
the debt is paid. Jesus paid your debt in order to set you free. Redemption involved a debt that needed to be paid in order to set captives free. See, in the ancient world, redemption was actually a common process. And it was a process that involved making a payment to someone in order to release people from slavery or release someone from slavery. You could go to someone voluntarily and you could offer to pay off debt so that another person would be released. And this was common in the ancient world. And we even see it at times and places throughout the biblical story. But for you and I, here's the problem. Our sin makes us captives. And apart from Jesus, every one of us are captives to the powers of sin, death, and hell. We are all captive to the powers of darkness. We're in bondage to these things and we need redemption. Redemption. It's the name of our church, right? It's the name of our church and it's the name of our church for a reason. It's because we are people who Christ paid our debt to set us free. We have been redeemed. This is at the heart of the gospel. The heart of salvation is this idea of redemption. But we needed to be ransomed from our captivity. In 1973, there were two brothers named Jorge and Juan Bourne not related to Jason Bourne, otherwise this story wouldn't have happened. Um, But Jorge and Juan Bourne were kidnapped in Argentina by a communist terrorist group called the Montaneros. And the Montaneros, here's what happened, is they, they posed as police officers. And as the two brothers are being transported by limo, the Montaneros cornered the limo and actually rerouted it into a side street alleyway where they proceeded to kill the chauffeur who was driving them. And then they took Jorge and Juan captive for nine months. They spent nine months in captivity as they were wondering and as they were hoping that someone would pay their ransom so that they could be released from captivity. Nine months later in 1974, the Montaneros received $60 million in exchange for the two brothers. This is the current equivalent of 293 million dollars, making this the record for the largest ransom ever paid in the world. A ransom says how much you're worth. It says how much someone is willing to pay for you. And so if I were to ask you playfully, but if you were to think about it honestly, If someone took you captive, how much do you think they would pay for your ransom? How much do you think someone would pay for you? $25,000? 300 million? Ryan Arneson right here? He knows he's worth a lot. 
250,000. Maybe you're like, hey, maybe half a million, 500,000, I think people would, would pay. Or maybe you know you're worth a lot like Ryan and 300 million. Maybe you're like, hey, a couple million, right? But if I were to answer that, I would say, hey, if I got taken captive, I think I'm worth half a million. And I'm saying that because you all. I think there's enough of you in here that like me enough that if I got taken captive, you guys are gonna be able to drum up $500,000. I think you guys can do that. And here's, here's what you could do. You could do a Tempe 10 to save me from captivity, except you'd call it Tempe 10,000 because everybody's got to pay 10,000. And Warren would get up here and do, the, do his swagger and he'd get you guys to give. And if that didn't work, what I know is Jim Mullins is coming up here and he's going to cast the most compelling vision you've ever heard that's going to tug at your heartstrings and you guys are going to save me from captivity. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm saying, half a million. Let's see, a ransom says how much someone is willing to pay for you. And here's the thing. The largest ransom wasn't $293 million in 1974 in Argentina. The largest ransom was 2000 years ago at Golgotha when Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus paid the largest ransom in the world as he ransomed you from the debt of sin that made you captives to the powers. Ransom says how much someone's willing to pay for you. But I wonder, when was the last time that you wondered how much you are loved? When was the last time you thought about that question? You asked, how much am I loved? How much am I loved by my parents, by my kids, by my spouse, by my coworkers and friends, by my church community, and even by God, how much am I loved? Church, the ransom that Jesus paid for you proves how much you are worth to God. It proves how much you are loved by him. That he loved you so much that when you were captive to sin, death, and hell, he didn't just write a check for several million dollars. God's son died for you. That's how much you are loved. God's son died for you to set you free. And Jesus paid the fullness of the cost for you. There's a children's book that I've read for the last nine years. To all of my boys, I have the book memorized. It's a book called On the Night You Were Born. Some of you may know it, it's pretty, pretty popular. There's one line from that book that has always hit me. It's always stuck with me. The line says, if you ever doubt just how special you are, or you wonder who loves you, how much and how far. I think the woman who wrote this book, she's onto something. I think she knows that as parents read this book to their kids, that every child is going to ask this question. Every child 
is going to wonder how much am I loved? But it doesn't end at childhood. Every single one of us, if we're honest, wrestles with the question, how much am I loved? And if you want to know how deep God's love is for you, then look at the cross. If you want to know how vast his love is for you, then look at the cross. You are loved. The depth of his love for you is the very thing that sent him to the cross. It's the very thing that held him on the cross. It wasn't nails, it was his love. It's the very thing that led him to say his last words, it is finished. When you wrestle with that question and you wonder how much you are loved, look at the cross where Jesus said, it is finished. Your debt is paid in full. It's finished because your debt has been paid in full. Through the death of Jesus, your debt is paid in full. Redemption is complete because Jesus died. No more payment is needed. Jesus' last words here in the gospel of John are actually only one word in the original language. It's the word tetelestai, tetelestai. This word means completed. It means paid in full. In the Greco-Roman world, at the time in the ancient world, this was uh, a word that was used in the marketplace. It was used in the commercial arena because what, was, what would happen is when someone would purchase something, this word was either written on or stamped onto a receipt, to telestai, showing that this has been paid in full. And what I love is as Jesus takes his last breath, Here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? I know you're gonna need some help. And so here's the down payment for you. You can pay the rest. He doesn't say, hey, I know you're, you're in debt and I know interest is a killer. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna make interest only payments to help you out and you can pay the principal. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, man, I know your debt is so great that I'm gonna pay most of it. And then it's up to you. you you're on your own to pay the rest of it. Jesus doesn't say any of those things. He says one word, tetelestai, because his death meant that your sin debt is paid in full. There is nothing more that will ever be required if you are covered by the blood of Jesus. Four years ago, uh, our oldest son, Wyatt, was gonna be starting kindergarten. And um, we, were gonna, we had him enrolled at a, at a private school and private tuition is uh, somewhat expensive if you didn't know that. Um, and he'd gone there for preschool, but the cost from preschool to kindergarten, there's quite a huge jump from preschool to kindergarten. And so we're, we're trying to figure out, man, how are, we, how are we gonna afford this? What are we gonna do? But this is the school that we, we feel like he's supposed to be at. And so... It's a couple weeks before school starts and 
I get a phone call. I don't know the number, so it goes to voicemail. And this lady leaves me a voicemail. And she says, yeah, uh, Mr. Crawford, we're, we're, uh, if you can call us back, it's in regards to Wyatt's tuition. I'm like, oh man, I don't know what I'm in for, but let, let's see. So I call her back and she said, yeah, we, we were calling to let you know that um, Wyatt's tuition has been paid in full. I said, huh? She said, yeah, Wyatt's tuition has been paid in full. And I said, ma'am, I don't understand what you're saying because you're using language from the Greco-Roman marketplace. Can you speak to me? Like we're in the 21st century. I have no idea what you mean by paid in full. What, what are you telling me? She said, I'm calling to let you know that someone donated money and they paid Wyatt's tuition in full, completely. And what that means for you, since you don't understand me, Mr. Crawford, is you don't owe us anything else for the rest of the school year. I was like, huh? <laughs> I've never won the lottery, but this feels like I just won the lottery. Like this is a significant amount of money, right? And it was amazing, right? An amazing act of generosity. But let me tell you something. I promise you, that once I received that phone call and I found out that our tuition was paid in full, I never once went back to that school to try to make more payments. I never did. I never went back to the school and say, hey, I know my tuition's already paid, but hey, can we pay some more? I never did that. It would actually be ridiculous for me to do that because the lady told me, you, there's nothing left for you to pay. You're free and clear. Church, when Jesus said, it is finished, your debt is paid in full. But if we're honest, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, it is hard for us to truly believe and truly accept that it's actually been paid in full. And some of you are trying to write tuition checks to pay God for when you sin. question I have for you is, what are the ways that you try to pay Jesus back rather than simply receive the paid in full? What are the ways in your life that you try to pay Jesus back rather than simply receiving the paid in full? See, because there's a difference between trying to repay Jesus and responding to Jesus. That's the difference in the good news of the gospel. And I think what oftentimes happens is when you sin, you think that you've got to repay Jesus. And you oftentimes do this with good things, right? Usually you're not, hey, I need to pay God back. I'm going to pay him back with a bunch of bad things, right? We usually don't do that. It's usually good things. And so some of you may be sitting here today, you, you came to church because something happened this week. You haven't been to church in a while and you're like, man, I need to repay God. I need to try to make this up to him. Or maybe it's with serving and you're like, man, I, I know that, that God cares about this. And so I think he'll be happy if I serve to try to make up for this thing. And so I'm gonna do this to try to repay him. Or maybe it's prayer 
And you, you feel like you gotta pray certain prayers and you gotta pray a certain number of times. And even for me, I'm guilty of this, where like my OCD kicks in and it's like, man, if I did this, I need to pray about it five times or God's not gonna, I, I'm not really showing that I'm really serious about this. These, these are all good things. But are you doing these good things to try to repay God? Or are you doing them out of response, responding to what he has done, to his finished work? Because the reason why we gather here and we come on Sunday is we are responding to the good news of Jesus that we have received. The reason why we serve is because God has served us in Christ Jesus. The reason why we pray is because we have a God who desires to be with us. And he not only listens to us, but he talks to us. And we can approach him as father because we've been adopted into his family. These are all good things that we do and we respond. See, the problem is when you do any of these things to repay God, what you're functionally doing is you're acting as if the blood of Jesus was not enough. You're acting as if more payment is needed for your sin, but Jesus wants you to experience receiving the phone call that it has been paid in full. He wants you to experience that, the freedom of that, that feeling that I had on the phone was speechless. He wants you to experience the freedom of that, but it's not just no more payment for the rest of the school year, it's forever. It's that it is finished. No more payment is required. He has broken your chains. He has ransomed you from your captivity and he has paid all of your debt. Rest in his finished work and the power of his last words. It is finished because it was his way of saying, I love you. And so as we come to communion this morning, there is no better way for us to respond to this passage than through communion. And there's an invitation in this. It's to come to Jesus, our Passover lamb, whose body hung on the cross and whose blood poured out as the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. For those who come under his blood, we are redeemed. And so as you partake of the elements of communion this morning, the bread represents Christ's body that was freely given for us. And the wine or the juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. And so in a moment we'll respond, but would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you first and foremost uh, for my voice and for answering prayers. Jesus, we thank you that you are the true Passover lamb. We thank you for your love for us, Lord, that is so demonstrated by the cross. We thank you for the last words, Lord, the power of your last words. It is finished.
Jesus, I pray that, that we would live into the freedom and experience the freedom of those words. That we are no longer in slavery to sin, to shame, to fear. That you ransomed us, showing us, Lord, that we're not only no longer in captivity, but you showed us how much you loved us. Lord, all of our debt is paid. You've paid it all. There's nothing left. And so Jesus, I pray that we would respond. Lord, I pray that we would not try to repay, but we would respond. And even as we move into our time of response, Holy Spirit, would you move? Would you stir our hearts and our affections, Lord, that we would love you because how you've loved us. And so Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who has not yet surrendered themselves and come under the blood of the lamb. I pray Jesus that today would be the day that you would draw them. Lord, that people would experience freedom from slavery here in this place today. We know it's by your power. We know that it's a gift. We know that it's all because of you, Jesus. And so we say, thank you. It's in your name, amen.